0: That's Lady Ada.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to my desk. It's Lady Ada. It's a Sunday evening. It's uh, Hacker O'Clock, um, late eight O'Clock. And I thought we would, uh, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes at my desk, and then we have a 15-minute um, great search as well. Um, and we'll uh, we'll just see what's going on on my desk. It's yeah, nice. we got
0: a lot of cool samples. Let's dive right in.
1: Okay. So, um... First up, um, so let's go to my uh, actually let's go to my computer, and I will go to Ada for where I'm I'm dealing with. Uh, I don't know if you knew, but there's a part shortage. I've so heard. the lsm 60s 33 is a part that um, we've used. It's a very low cost IMU. Uh, seen here, it's partnered with a magnetometer. The magnetometer we got in, but. The IMU we still can't get. So uh, it's, you know, the LSM 60S 33. It's discontinued. It was a very inexpensive, um, you know, low cost, but, you know, fairly good quality IMU. So it was good for like basic sensing because IMUs can easily get into like $6, $7 range. And this one was like a couple bucks. So I really liked it. And um, it is featured in a couple of things. First off, of course, we've got two breakouts. Um, but it also made it into the uh, Feather Sense um, Had this has this chip uh, here, the LSM-60S33. Uh, I don't know if it's listed here. I think we just say an IMU. But um, yeah, it's a Excel gyro for the IMU. And then also the Clue, which we do have some left over in stock. This one also has. Um, the Excel gyro, but then, you know, we can't get it anymore. Um, so looking at um, other IMUs, I found um, that I could get an ST. Still, ST doesn't make the LSM-60S33, but they do make the LSM-60S3, and they make a couple different versions, including one called the 3TRC. I don't know what the C is, but it's basically an entry-level, low-cost IMU, which is perfect because, you know, again, I can get a really high-quality IMU, like the ISM 33, you know, 3330 is in stock, but it's it's like six seven dollars, and I you know it would basically double the bill of materials cost for something like the Feather Sense, which is supposed to be inexpensive, um, or the Clue, which likewise you know I want to keep it um, inexpensive. So um, I picked up uh, some of the the LSM. So this is the D socks, and let's just look at the front. So the Uh, What is nice is ST decided, like, basically every IMU after the DS33, they're like, okay, we're going to do this kind of standard QFN-DFN with, um, I think it's three pins on the top, four pins on the side, and it's kind of rectangular. But they've kept the same pin out. Um, So if we go to the overhead, it's a little bit clunky here. Um this is a uh this is actually an LSM 6D sox breakout, but I um removed the uh 6D socks and I soldered on the DTR which I've got here. Sorry, this one. The LSM six uh, DS3TR. See? And um, you know, the register map did change a little bit. I will notice like you know, all these chips they're pin compatible. But like registers, like things will move around a little bit. Um, that said, I did get it working. So going back to the computer, um, I've got, you know, my Arduino working here. And you can see it's got uh, temperature accelerometer and gyro data coming out. And it's just fine. So and I've got photometer working and I got the shake like motion detection working. It's pretty much all I use the LSM6DS33 for. So, I do have to do a board respin for the Feather Sense and the Clue, but the good news is that this sensor is available. So, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to purchase, like, basically two years' worth because um, I know I'm going to use them and I know that this is just part charges and ending. So, I might as well get a year or two's worth of this chip um, so I can keep the Feather Sense in stock and. Um, the, the clue in stock, and also, you know, I'll revise those those two basic breakouts so we can have a low cost IMU breakout. Um, one thing that's interesting is as I was looking, because um, I went to, uh, you know, st.com, and I think I looked uh, for, I don't know if it's under sensors, mem sensors, and then I think I looked at iNemo which is what they call the, um, their gyro accelerometers. Um, so one thing that was interesting about this is um, everybody's favorite Hold on, 9DOF sensor, the LSM9DS1, is, uh, I don't know if you can see, it's very small text, but it says, uh, and it's like, hi, I want to resize your screen. It says NRND on there. So, you know, if you're using the LSM-9DS1, um, I know that Arduino using a couple of boards. I know other people have used it. It's, it's adorable because it's like a 9DOF IMU and it's all in one. And it was pretty inexpensive. It was a couple dollars. Um, it's basically being discontinued. So, you know, thankfully, um, I didn't use the 9DS1 in these designs. So it's like I'm only changing out one part and the parts changing to something similar. But it is uh, kind of a downer, anyway. So I ended up looking through here for what was available. Uh, the only thing that's a little annoying about um, ST's part selection site is they don't let you search for uh, pricing. Whereas we'll say TI is really nice; they'll give you budgetary pricing. Budgetary pricing isn't the actual pricing; it's always going to be a little bit less. But at least gives you an idea: like, is this about a dollar? Is it about two dollars? So I had to look up each one of these chips to see, like, how much did it really cost. Um, And that's how we, you know, ended up with the the LSM6DS TR. So, you know, it's a a revision party always here. But, you know, thankfully got this firmware going. So I feel confident I'm going to spin the the Clue, going to spin the Feather. um, Since luckily this new sensor is smaller, so, you know, I'll just, like, Space will just change a little bit, but um, the firmware should be very minimal, and thankfully you can detect which one you have by reading the, there's a Who Am I register, and it gives you a different values, so you know, you'll be able to know which, which sensor you've got. So, I, you know, I've seen this in a bunch of different boards. Boards that have sensors, they're, they're kind of constantly swapping them around. So that's the um, uh, LSM6DS33 swap out. And then uh, the reason I was actually kind of forced to do this is I wanted to, you know, they're revising the feather sense, but then Scott also was like, oh, you know, it'd be really useful to have a um, NRF 52 feather with a TFT on top, like the ESP feather that, you know, we, we have and made. It's like uh, got the TFT on top, and on the bottom, there's the ESP 32, S2 or S3. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, the NRF 52 module is much smaller. Um, and there's even a little space, so I thought I would also put some sensor pads down. So this kind of, like, forced me to, like, okay, i got to swap out the IMU for that um, you know, LSM6DS uh, chip because, um, you know, I, I wanted to put an IMU here, and I was like, well, you know, now I'm like, I have to, like, get it together and, and do the swap out. So uh, this will end up revising, like, six different boards, um, much like the CP2104 to 2102N, It's just kind of life, Um, you know. Sensors um, and and chips. I'm noticing that you know it's it's not that it's not just that you can't get certain parts, but there's an acceleration of if it was going to be end of line, the end of line just comes much faster. And if it does get end of line, you're not going to be able to necessarily do a last time buy. So everything is just much um, much more sped up. Okay, what else did I say I was going to show people?
0: Well, we have samples. That um, I did a little bit of a preview on um, our, our Twitter. It's the filament stuff. We got. Yeah. And, oh, uh, did you
1: want to do um, chip shortage? Would you uh, do that later? No. Right. Sorry. Correct.
0: No, yeah. can I do it.
1: No, yeah. yes. yes. Let's show some filament samples. Yeah. It's been a day. Um, let me get my samples. Yeah. And,
0: um... We're going to do chip shortage this week on Ask an Engineer. So we'll just be... We'll, we'll just do the one that you sent me this yeah, week. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So, so that's done in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, all let's done.
1: do that. You should, don't worry. There's always no parts. Yeah. Um, the, okay.
0: Yeah, no parts is still a true statement. Okay.
1: Okay, so let's go to the overhead, and we'll check out these cool filaments. So I got... know yeah, it's funny. I've been trying to get filaments for, like, I, literally years. We actually got some LED filaments... Um, literally, like, five, six years ago, but they were 70 volts, and I was, I actually was about to put them in the store in the last minute, I just said, like, you know, nobody's gonna want to deal with these 70 volt filaments, uh, so I paused, but then I found, um, a supplier that would sell me a small quantity of 3 volt filaments, and I was like, that's what I'm talking about, so these are kind of neat, these are, um, you know, they look like spaghetti noodles, but they're actually, uh, LED, there's a ladder of, uh, Hold on, let me get some wires. Wires are good. Let's get a power wire here and ground wire. Um, And we'll just, they they can run off of three volts, which I really like. So um, what's interesting is that if you look, you know, you're not gonna be able to see it very well here at all. But on the back, there's like this little ladder of a very thin metal piece and um, LED diodes that are um, bonded on. And then I think the side with the hole is negative. No, the side with the hole is positive. That's what I meant to say. Okay, so this for example is a pink color and um, you see you get a really nice smooth color effect. You know, I'll hold it up here so people can see what it looks like. You know, not um, blown out as much. Yeah, um, So there is, if you look really closely, there is a slight, you know, dotting to it. But, like, you have to be really close to see it. Um, it's definitely, like, one LED per millimeter, maybe one, one every one and a half millimeters. And what's really nice is that it's, like, it's, it's really flexible. I mean, like, it's, you know, you can, you can pretty much move it just like EL wire. It's even more flexible than EL wire. Um, and it's got that full um, color to it. Like it's a much more solid and doesn't have the buzzing sound, and you don't need an inverter. So, for small illumination or you know, uh, decoration, I think LED filaments are kind of neat. Okay, so this one is green, and now I know the side with the hole is positive. Okay, so this is like a a cool lime green color. Again, very flexible. I haven't really been able to break them, although I haven't really tried. I think if you really pinch them a lot, maybe you could break them. But um, they seem very, very durable. So great for wearables or, or cosplay. You know, if you wanted to have like a, a cool, like neon strip that's very thin and, you know, doesn't use the LED neon, um, so that's good. And I got a couple other colors. So I showed pink and green. Um, I have, I think this is blue. Um And then, yes, this is the blue also. And these are all about uh, 30, so it's about a foot long, about 30 centimeters. And then lastly, I'll show off the warm white because I feel like that's kind of what, that's what people want to see. Or maybe this is yellow. Okay. This side's got the whole... And these are used for, um, yes, yeah, so this is like a warm white light. So these are used for, you know, when they make LED light bulbs that have funky, you know, like Edison bulb shapes, but they want to fake it. They just use this and they wind it through to get that cool, like Edison lamp effect.
0: Okay, um, let's do, do a question about yeah. the filament, and then we'll do a, a general question after you show these things yeah. off. Um no, you can't use it outside. Um, the LED filament is not outdoor suitable. It's not outdoor suitable. You could you could put it in something that is uh, weatherproof, um, but it, it's it's it, not
1: designed. I mean, like it, it,
0: itself is not. Well,
1: it'll work for outside, but only I, I wouldn't recommend it for more yeah. than the half
0: an, an hour. The answer is no, because if we say well you could, then someone will put it underwater. And
1: yeah, they always do us. that. People um, Can like, the filaments
0: not. be cut to shorter lengths?
1: Not really. I mean, I think if you were skilled and you were comfortable with it, you could cut it and then scrape off the rubber, and you might be able to solder to or bond to the metal, but pretty as much it, no. I think
0: we'll just, cu- we'll just carry lots of different... Yeah, um, it
1: pretty much... Pretty but much anyway, has so. any
0: naming ideas. Uh, we want to have a catchier name than just, like, the part number and stuff, so yeah, we'll try to think of something. And, and
1: this is a, um, this is and, uh, a non-flexible type. Um, but the trade-off is it's much, much brighter. Uh, so this is actually what you could light up uh, a room with it. You know, it's it's not super bright, but you could you know it'd a, it would be it's reading light, right? And it's um, it's got two. I think it's got two layers of LEDs, like one on each side, because there's no magic dimmer wire. side. My suggestion
0: is magic wire.
1: Magic wire. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's the filaments. All
0: right, and there's other colors, just okay. orange and like. Do you, know. you want to uh, show some more stuff, or do you want to answer some of these more general questions?
1: Um, can you see if there? What else? I said I would show off. I of don't else? remember. Okay, well let's just um, let's answer the questions, okay. and then I'll show. So, so one, you know. I can help out with
0: this. Th- yeah. Both of them. Um, chip shortage question: How long do you expect a Raspberry Pi shortage to last? In response to what you thought was uh, just the way it's going to be now, so.
1: Just the way it's going to be now. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so my prediction is we're not going to see I can order a Raspberry Pi anytime I want it just gets here overnight for at least a year. That's that's at our least. Cur- that's our current prediction just based on how everything is so delayed for so many things that you just can't predict what's going to happen. And so it looks like just, you know, someone has to make a guess, so that's our guess. And then the other question is, um, can you talk about how the park shortage has affected your future planning beyond current shortages? I anticipate things have changed enough that procurement philosophy has changed and it isn't going back. Yes. So um, one of the things that we used to do was we used to design for manufacturing. So Lemoore sits 30 feet from the pick and place and the oven and um, all the things that we use to build and test things now we are designing for purchasing <laughs> so the, the difference is we look at what is possibly available how long the lead times are how much stuff we have and while you did planning like that in the past there was never like well if i need 10 things to make a product and one of them's gone oh i'll be able to get that other one one part soon that's not how it is now yeah so we have to redesign we have to do lots of revisions and we have to design backwards from availability. of something. Yes, says, it's not
1: what I want to work on or yeah. what is interesting to me. It's like what I can get. Because there's chips that I really was interested in looking at, and I just can't get them. So it's like my – instead of just saying like, uh, oh, this sucks, I can't work on it, and just complaining, I'm like, well, what can I work on? And so, for example, I can get Expressive modules. Espressif has been really good about getting me chips. And so it's like you're seeing a lot of ESP boards because – I can get ESP chips and I can get ESP modules. And so I'm just going to keep doing boards with what I can get. I'm not going to come out with, um, like I took a break from doing Trinkies because it's just very hard to secure Sam D 21s. Like even when I order them, they don't ship. Yeah. So, or like the dates, you know, I, uh, one thing that's definitely happened more, it's like I'll order something and the date gets bumped and bumped and bumped and bumped. And so, you know, I can sometimes get samples of parts, um, but then, you know, I, I don't, I'd have a policy for like a new product. I'm, I haven't really purchased a new component early, if that makes sense. It's like, if I only have a sample, I, I, I don't, because it's so unclear when I'm going to get it. I, I wait, I actually tell the company, tell me when you can ship it to me and I'll book it. I'm not going to future order parts that I don't already have sales predictions for because I'm just going to get screwed so um, mm-hmm. instead I just wait until that part's available yeah. and like like I do see like parts come in like there's like this like there's this tide that comes in and like oh hey like that sensor is like suddenly available now and then like the tide will go out and like and the tide will come in and be like oh this like chip is available it's yeah. not everything is available at the same time but I do see like you know the NAU7802 which was a, a breakout we put in a couple of weeks ago like I designed that years ago and it was just not available but like now I you can get it everywhere like they really did make, you know, a couple hundred thousand and they kind of seeded the market with them but you know for 2 years you couldn't get it so it's just it's just when the number comes up.
0: Yeah, and um you know one of the things that we've learned is you just have to be endlessly adaptable when you're in the technology world and uh more so than ever. There was a lot of times where things were easy. Um, you could do a Kickstarter and uh, oh yeah, well, the time it's funded, I'll just get all the parts, I'll do it now. You just have to have um, quite a bit of insight and be prepared to take some uh, really creative risks on which direction you're going and also um, have lots of contingency plans.
1: Yeah, in the last, in the last week, Phil and I were chatting, uh, four different companies dropped Manufacturing uh, lines. Yeah, completely. they're like, we're done. They're like, this thing that you've actually sold quite a few of, we are not making anymore and we're done. Um, and they're from one person maker companies to multi billion dollar companies that just said, we can't, we just can't deal with this anymore. And I'm like, oh, this product was pretty popular. And they're like, we just can't, They. it's just not, you know, I, I don't want to put words in their mouths because I don't know what they're thinking, but like reading between the lines, it sounds like it's just not worth it. Um, to, to stress and you know, bust your ass and manage all the inventory and then you still can't get you know, the last component. So they're just focusing yeah. on, you know if it wasn't their most popular product, their most profitable product, they, they pretty much have. Well, the other thing
0: is you know, we've diversified for years because we didn't want to be stuck with one particular chipset. We didn't want to get stuck with one particular programming language for microcontrollers. And so I think sometimes um, folks are like, oh, why don't you just do one thing commit to one chip line, commit to one, you know, only Arduino, or commit to only SAMD. Um, and I'm glad we didn't, because um, we've been able to, to zig and zag as things have changed. And, and the one thing that's for sure, so we don't know when Raspberry Pis will be instantly available, but I can tell you one thing for sure, change is coming. Everything's going to be. Everything's going to constantly be changing. If you
1: need a project that has multiple Raspberry Pis, it's yeah. It but probably, you might want to think of other projects that you've yeah. been putting off because I'm sure you have a big bin of projects that you haven't. Finished. But everything's going to keep Go changing, to and
0: and that's just like how how progress in life goes. Like there's there's scarcity and there's surplus, and for there's surplus for some things and scarcity for others, and you just have to be um, financially and mentally prepared and have a culture at your company that's like, okay, we're just gonna roll with it. We're gonna surf these waves, build better boards, and hang out with cool surfers.
1: Okay, well, we're running out of time. So let me, uh, let's just show this one switch sample yeah. I got. It's a long um, answer. JP wanted us to stock these. These are like using some, you know, I think like 808 synths or something. Um, you know, there's a LED that's separate than the button, but I just connected them together with some wires. And I got these gray with red and then, you know, red with red and then uh, black with red. So I might carry, you know, these three colors. He wanted to make like a little, like a synth keyboard. So this is, I thought it'd be kind of cute. Okay, so let's go on to Richard.
0: Every single lady user, powers of engineering and more, to search on digikey.com. Thank you, digikey, for the parts that you're looking for. This is a great search, lady. What are you looking for this week?
1: Um, a common request. We have people who have emailed us multiple times, and they said, um, "I want to pick up a low-cost oscilloscope, my first oscilloscope," and uh, they want some suggestions. And um, I was like, "Oh, I don't really have a good suggestion. I haven't looked at what's available in the market." Uh, I thought I would uh, use that for the great search, check out Digikey, see if there's a couple of good options available, um, and also talk about some of the trade-offs. Um, you know, Basically, if you have infinite money, you can get the best scope in the world, but if you don't have infinite money, um, let's say your budget's like $500, which I think is, is pretty fair for a good desktop scope, um, you do have to trade off what you're what you're willing to spend money on and what you're willing to let go of in order to get other specs that are better because it's all going to be you know all the specs are going to be um, they're gonna affect the price you know the more bandwidth the more expensive The more channels the more expensive the bigger screen the more expensive so what's important to you so you it's it's a trade-off again if you're five thousand dollars you don't have to trade off any of these things you get exactly what you want but for five hundred bucks let's see what's available so let's let me go to, yeah, I was going to do a great search about IMUs, but there are no IMUs, so it was like, it was a total downer. <laughs> um, maybe maybe when there's more available. Okay, so we're at Digikey. Let's go to the Computer. And we're going to type in Oscilloscope, which is tough to spell. Uh, but they do have them. Um, I think I got my first Oscilloscope from Digikey as well. So there's a couple scopes, um, you know, there's the standards type scope and there's also, um, you know, these smartphone tablet scopes. Now I'm, I'm biased. Um, you will get a higher spec scope if you don't have a screen, but I really, really, really like the bench top ones with the screen. I don't, there's some people who can do the USB ones. I, I just don't like them. It's personal. I just don't like them. Um, other people can do a video where they say how much they love them. I really like to have the knob. I like to be able to see the waveform, and I'm twisting the knob at the same time. I don't I don't necessarily like uh, computer style. Uh, so that said, let's just do basic. First off, I want uh, bench type. I want it to be active. And I'm only going to look at ones that are in stock right now because I'm not going to suggest a scope that you can't get. Um, so again, there's going to be a lot of trade-offs. So the things that I find most important in an oscilloscope is number one, the number of channels, because that's, you know, there's no upgrading, you know, it's like once you get the channels, that's, that's fixed. Um, you pay more for more channels. There's basically either two channel or four channel, those are your options. Now I have four channel scope and I've always kind of purchased four channel scopes, but I'll say, you know, 99% of the time I don't use four channels. I use two channels. There's a trigger and there's a response, um, especially if you're doing analog. But even with digital, because instead you'd get a a logic analyzer uh, that you would use for your digital signals. And part of the reason for that, of course, is digital signals are usually much, much faster than analog signals, like ironically. Um, it's not unusual to have a microcontroller that is running the SPI line at 60 megahertz, 80 megahertz. Um, ESP32 can do that. The Raspberry Pi can do that. Um, sometimes you're looking at a crystal, but usually crystals aren't that fast. Usually crystals are like, if you're looking at oscillation on your analog scope, it's going to be 12 or 24 megahertz. So, you know, if you have a logic analyzer, um, you can get away with a two channel scope. If you don't, there have been times where I'm like, I look, want to look at the chip select line, the data clock line, and you know, whatever, some other line. It's, it's possible. Um, or I want to look at the power supply voltage while I'm also looking at you know, I squared C. So it is, it is possible that you'll need four. I'm going to assume, however, that you're, you're going to want two. Um, but you definitely want not one. One channel is kind of useless, in my opinion. I think you really need two. So let's look at the two channel scopes. Um, next step, the next thing you're going to pay for is bandwidth. Um, bandwidth is kind of sort of the fastest signal you can look at. It's a little bit more complicated than that, because if you're looking at a square wave, you know, the square wave, you're like, oh, it's a 50 megahertz square wave. But the square wave has higher frequency components that will not come through. And so you'll kind of get a sinusoid instead. You know, again, if you have a logic analyzer, you could probably get away with a slower scope. However, I really think that 100 megahertz is like kind of the minimum. Um, I did look at this and there were scopes that had a 60 megahertz bandwidth. I, I think if you want to last a couple of years, get 100. You know, it, it's not just how fast is the frequency of the thing. It's how good is it going to be at reproducing rise times? Um, and if you're doing, you know, um, if you're looking at some digital signals, you might need to look at, uh, you know, skew or slew rate. It's not a bad idea. So, you know, I definitely 20 is, is too small. 20 is like a handheld thing. I'd say you know, 70 plus is good for beginner scope. You're probably gonna get about like 100 ish. Um, you know, my desktop scope here is uh, it's five gigahertz, five gigasamples per second, one gigahertz bandwidth. Um, but it's also a very fancy scope so you know what you're gonna do uh, but it wasn't my beginner scope my beginner scope was uh, 100 megahertz bandwidth It was a TDS Tektronix TDS 2014 I think which was a 100 megahertz four channel color scope the good news is that pretty much every scope is LCD so that's nice they're gonna be lightweight you're gonna be able to carry it you can put it on your desk and um, you can't search search by price, but you can sort by price. So since we have a budget of about five hundred dollars, um, I did that, and there are a couple good options. Um, so there's there's quite a few on the you know right under five hundred dollar range. You know here's here's another thing you know, and, and in addition to bandwidth, um, memory size. So. If you're zooming into or you want to scan through a waveform, memory size is going to be something that comes up. Um, it seemed to me while looking at these options that there's kind of like either 20 kilopoints or like a megapoint and higher. I, I actually kind of feel like you could save a lot of money on lower kilopoint memory, but I actually have been really annoyed. I remember once I used a scope with a very low killer point memory and it was a really annoying because i couldn't trigger something and then look later at the at the um the signal or there was like it was like you couldn't zoom in there's something nice about you trigger on a signal and you zoom in and you're like oh i can like keep zooming in and i can get the detail even if you know you looked at the the longer signal first you triggered on the longer signal and you, you zoomed in so even though there's these cheapy you know like three hundred dollar scopes i actually i'm going to say like Get at least a mega point. Um, I don't care about the interface as much. I've never used Ethernet or USB or Wi-Fi. Um, at the most, I've used like grab a screenshot. But everything has a screenshot capability these days. That's not a big deal. And of course, phones are really good. And with an LCD, you can just take a photo with your phone. You know, it's I know it's a little tacky, but there's no real reason. Um, So there were a couple options here, and I didn't look at like why the you know the the why and which they're all kind of the same family. These Oon SDS seven series. Um, It looked like what you're paying for basically is um, bandwidth at this point because you know we selected a range. So 170, 70, 100, 200. You know if you're if you're if you're really up to about 500 bucks. you know this 200 megahertz 10 mega point one is is pretty good so like the 7202 um you know has a big screen it's only two channel but um it is under you know you'll get it for 500 bucks and it's got um a giga sample per second and 200 megahertz that'll last you quite a bit you know you get this in college or something and you'll be using it you know easily for five six years uh, and i've seen people use these scopes The only other thing that you don't really um, get to know from specs, just purchasing um, and why it's good if you can find someone with the same family of scope or the same model is how good it is at triggering. Um, I've always liked the tech scope triggering. I found it's really solid. It's very reliable. Um, I remember a long time ago, Regal scopes did not have very good triggering, but I think that's probably improved. That was like 10 years ago. I think probably it's a lot better. Um, but if you do have somebody with any scopes, you'll put put on a signal you want to trigger on something and, and look at Is it stable or is it kind of like freaky? Can you do single shot and like it'll actually get the single shot? But as for actual capabilities, pretty much every scope has the same capabilities these days. You could always um, you know have triggers and you can have um, you, know, uh, you know measurements on screen and you can do math and you can do FFT that's super super standard so this would be I think a good two channel scope for beginner under 500 bucks and then um they also have a four channel one it's like 650. I think if you can spare the extra 200 go for the four channel last you know it'll it'll definitely make you very happy but I think this two channel scope will um is a good beginner scope that will also take you pretty far. So, you know, assuming you are you continue to be interested in electronics, um, you'll be able to use this for almost everything.
0: Alright, that's a great search.
1: Where in the world is that part I need? The great with King.
0: Okay, so that's our show for tonight. Um one question that came up, is a TDS 2014 a good one to buy used?
1: I wouldn't get one used. Honestly, um, they're really old at this point. Um, I mean, any tech scope used is probably good. I will say that um, I had to stop using my TDS 2014 because the, the, you know, the controls literally um, started falling apart because um, I used it so much that the main channel, the rotary encoder, was really flaky. I know I could have fixed it. Um, but I ended up was like, I need to update this anyways, because the screen, the screen was quite small. It was kind of a passive matrix LCD, um, passive E, like, it was not, like, IPS. Um, it was a pretty small screen, and um, there's be- much better scopes these days. Okay. Used is fine. If you're going to get used, I would get, like, a tech scope or a LaCroix. I Like, you're better off getting a used high-quality scope, I would not get a used Wiggle or 0 Like, I you don't I don't really trust the used market for those. I'd get a used um, high-quality scope, especially since there are, um, like, authorized, like, resellers that you can get, okay. so you can get a good scope.
0: Next up, and how does it work when that it's 200 megahertz, but one uh, gigasample a second? I expected 20 millisecond samples or 40. Shannon, no, it's not. It's not does the same. There's the analog limited to two hundred. There, there's or something.
1: the internal analog front end which has a bandwidth limitation, and there's how many samples per second. It's not, you know. Y- yeah, in theory, you know, you have um, like a Nyquist rate of two, but you you can't actually reproduce the frequency. You need you'd have a much higher sample rate, and also usually the sample rate is shared between both channels.
0: Okay. And then um, internally we're going to start to think of names for this filament. So here's yeah. some of the ones that came in. Sure. Uh, Magic Wire. Magic. Wire. Spaghetti LED. Spaghetti LED. Light emitting spaghetti do not eat. Glow worms.
1: Glow worms.
0: Filament. Haha. Uh Phil and, uh the, Your
1: name, the, Phil? Or? Yeah,
0: and then the current one that looks like uh, there's some folks that like it is uh, Ada's Lovelaces.
1: Ada's Lovelaces, that's funny. Love, uh, you could make them into laces. Lo- I mean, they would. I, I wouldn't use them to hold the shoes together.
0: Lovelaces is pretty cool. We'll probably weave them into a pair of shoes to take a photo because that'll just look cool. Yeah, um, we give
1: them to a friend who, who does, she does hair design. She's like, oh, this would be a cool yeah. hair thing.
0: So um, keep them coming uh, if you want to thank uh, you. Put, it, put it into the name machine. And uh, thank you so much, everybody. We very much appreciate it. We'll see everybody during the week. Um, we're very thankful that you all continue to watch our shows, and uh, you support us as a company There's a bunch of uh, topsy-turvy times ahead, but we're in it together. And uh, we thank you for being part of this journey with us. So we'll see you next week.
1: Bye, everybody.